Praise God. Well, kids, you can go downstairs. The rest of you, I'd love for you to stay up. You know, there's stuff to do downstairs, but prefer if you're up here. Thank God. Father's Day, Father's Day, Father's Day. What a good day. I'm, I'm on my second this year, so I think I've got it down pat. <laughs> a little one-year-old didn't get up and make me breakfast or anything. I don't know what his deal is. He's got to get that. Maybe he'll learn how to make, you know, eggs Benedict or something by next year. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I'd like you to open your Bibles today. And we're going to open them to the book of John. I'm not going to keep you long this morning, but I want to leave you with some thoughts that are going to uh, hopefully uh, not, not just get your brain going, but get your, uh, really speak to your spirit. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of what we believe and a lot of uh, what we know about ourselves is not, simply, um, is not simply a Christianity that teaches us how to behave but a Christianity that teaches us first who we are. You see, you can try all your life to act like a child of God, but if you have no revelation that you already are, as a believer, a son, a daughter of the king, you will have no success trying to imitate one until you know who you are. And you have to know that you are not working your way to a position You're not working your way to sonship. You're not working your way to someday earn a place at his table. You already have a place at the table. And because you have a place at the table, that will cause some fruit from your life. That will cause some results from your life. But first things first, you've been adopted into a new family. You're not working for your adoption. You're not trying to earn your adoption. The adoption has taken place. Now, the Bible teaches us there's another stage of adoption coming, and that's the day when we're resurrected and get our new bodies. But right now, this is it. And we have received the Spirit of God, which is our seal, our pledge of adoption. The Bible says that that spirit of adoption in us cries out, Abba, Father. We've talked about this before, but it's interesting that the New Testament, as we've received it, is in Greek. We've translated into English. It's very likely that the Apostle Paul wrote his letters in Greek. Uh, He obviously spoke Hebrew. He most likely spoke Aramaic, uh, perhaps even some Latin as a Roman citizen. Uh, But the language of the time that you communicate, if you were uh, writing anything intellectual, anything that be understood, I mean, Latin was understood in many countries, but Greek was the language of, of, of. Academia. That was the language you wrote your letters, uh, you wrote your, your uh, studies and things like that. And so uh, much of the New Testament, not all of it was originally written in Greek. Some was translated into Greek. Uh, but the Apostle Paul most likely wrote that directly into Greek. And it's interesting that though the letter is in Greek, when he says our spirit cries out, Abba, Father, he purposely puts a Hebrew word right in the middle of all the Greek. And that's why it's, it's a little annoying sometimes when you're reading an English Bible that, that 
is translating from Greek to English, and then there's a Hebrew word that you didn't even know there was a Hebrew word there because they just translated it all in English. There was a reason he left the Hebrew there. Even for non-Hebrew speakers, they could find out what it meant. And the Hebrew word that he left right in the middle of all that Greek was the word Abba. And it would have been very special to him as a young Jewish boy that this is, you know, in Hebrew, if you look up the word for father, it's Ab. But Abba... It's like us, the difference between dad and daddy to us. Abba was an affectionate term. It's most likely what he called his dad when he was a little, little child. You think about your relationship with your dad, it changes, it morphs, it transforms. But nowhere in your life are you more dependent on your father than when you're that little child calling them daddy. Your relationship should change, it should mature, but when you're a little kid and you're looking up to your dad and you call him daddy and you depend on him for everything, it's a good reflection of our relationship with God or the way it should be. And he says when we've received the spirit of adoption, that spirit cries out, Abba, Father. He says it more than once. He says it in Romans, he says it in Galatians. The same thing, that that spirit that God gave us assures us reminds us, guarantees us that we are adopted and that we are part of his family. Now I'm going to rehash something that I've said before, so pardon me if you've heard me say it. But when we think of adoption in our day and age, we think of um, somebody who's been adopted into a family, but they're kind of obviously not from that family. You might have adopted somebody of a different race or maybe of the same race, but they obviously don't look like you. They've got different hair color, different eye color. And you might say, we love them like our children. We love them. They're just as much a part of our family. But one thing they don't have is your, your genetics, your DNA. And so they may be, there's things in their background and their makeup that came from different people than you. Even if you adopted them, even if they fit into the family just like any other of your kids, there's still something a little different. But when we've received the spirit of adoption, you've got to remember how we were adopted. The Bible says, and Jesus said it first, and then it was echoed by the writers of the New Testament, that as a believer, we were born again. So that is radical adoption. He did not take you with your old DNA, your old genetics. Now, I'm not talking about your physical DNA. You still have the same DNA you always had. Doesn't matter what prayer you prayed, you still have the same genetics. But I'm talking about um, your spirit. Your spirit has been made new and made alive. And so when we were adopted into his family, it was not just a, well, you'll, you'll fit in eventually. He recreated us. The Bible says we've been created in Christ Jesus. It also says that we've been created in his likeness. Isn't that awesome? So we've been recreated in his likeness, in, in, in holiness of the truth, to look like him. Which means that his character, his nature is now part of our nature. So you're not just an adopted child as in I'm fitting into the family, but I'm not really from the same uh, from the same ancestors. I'm not really from the same group. No, the Bible says that when you were adopted, you were recreated, you were made like him. And in fact, in John, 1 John, it's wonderful. It begins to, I mean, you, this, as John is an old man and he writes this letter. It's wonderful how he refers to the people uh, that are reading the letter. Often he says, I'm writing to you, little children. I'm writing, he says, beloved, let us now love one another. It's, it's very affectionate, like, a, like an uncle or a father 
or a grandfather speaking to his family. But many times in that book, he says things like this. Beloved, let us love one another. We, we talked about this last week. For love is from God. And everyone that loves is what? Is born of God. What does born of God mean? That means that you came from him. That means that you have his characteristic. It says everyone that loves, and that word love is the, is the word that we're talking about God's love here. We're not talking about our love. We're talking about his love. When he's talking about God's love, he says that his love is now in us because we've been born of him. And since we were born of him, we have now inherited from him his nature. We've inherited his character. We've inherited his love. And this is a big deal. In fact, the scripture I quoted earlier when he said that we're the children of God, we've got the spirit of adoption. He goes on and says that if we are sons, we are also heirs. That's big, isn't it? You might say, well, I'm not a son, I'm a daughter. Absolutely you are. But in this culture, sons would get a little bit different treatment than the women would. And what he's saying here is whether you're a man or a woman, you get treated like a son. You, you don't get treated as a second-class citizen. Everyone gets treated with the same inheritance as the firstborn son. What a wonderful thing. I want you to read in, in John chapter 8 what Jesus says. There's a great argument that takes place. You know, Jesus never really lost an argument. It's an unfair advantage, number one, when the father's feeding you what to say. It's another unfair advantage when you know what they're thinking, right? Nobody said Jesus had to play fair. You know, have you ever noticed, before we read this, have you ever noticed in the book of John how many times Jesus talks about his father? It's like every chapter almost. He, can't, he, he doesn't say anything without mentioning the father. He goes on many times in the book of John and says, I don't do anything unless the father tells me. I don't, I don't say anything unless I hear him say it. I mean, one of the first stories we have of Jesus after he's a baby is when he's 12 years old and he says to his parents, I mean, he, he goes off and he gets, they lose him for a while. They're leaving and they don't know where he is and they have to turn back and find him. And he's in the temple and he says, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? And all through his ministry, he's always talking about the father. It's like that was his identity. His identity was so wrapped up in being a son. Not just the Messiah, but the son of God. Yes, the son of man, but also the son of God in, in such a way that he's always speaking about the father. It was who he knew he was. He knew what he was supposed to do in life. He knew he could do it. He knew why he should do it. He knew how he would do it. All because he knew who he was. He knew who his father was. And because he knew his father was, everything else fell into place. His ministry began with God speaking his ministry began as the Holy Spirit descended on him. God spoke to all the people that saw him. That day in the river with John the Baptist, God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's the beginning of his ministry. The crazy thing about it is, is as you read this book, you find out 
that the same father that he had, the same relationship he had, he is desiring for you to have with the father. John chapter 17 sums it up so well when he says, I'm going to be in the Father, you're going to be in me, you're going to be in the Father, the Father and you, we're all going to be one, and you're going to be one. He says, in the same way that the the Father sent me, I send you. Look at this, he says in John chapter 8. Jesus answered them in verse 14, because the Pharisees had told them that He was testifying about himself, that his testimony wasn't true. And Jesus said, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from. You hear that? I know where I came from. Do you know he's not talking about Bethlehem or Galilee or any of those other places? I know where I came from, and believe it or not, that's very important to know where you came from. I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it's been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where's your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now that's the image of a son. In this sense, I mean, this is the image of, of, of what God desires his relationship with you to be like, so much so that you could say to people, if you knew me, you'd knew my father. You know him because I, because I don't do anything that he hasn't sent me to do because my relationship with him is such that I, I reflect his nature. I, I, I reveal his nature. Look at what he says here. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple and no one seized him because his hour has not yet come. We're going to skip ahead a little bit because of the, for the sake of time. I want you to skip to verse 31. So Jesus was continuing to say to those Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, in, in, in the literal, uh, in the original tr- manuscript, it says, amen, amen. In other words, this is... This is something you need to pay attention to. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. They said, we've never been a slave. He says, yes, you have. If you've sinned, you've become a slave. But then he says this, here's the good news. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. See, he's not telling them they're slaves just to rub it in their face. He's telling them they're slaves so they can know how to be free. Then he says this, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in me, in you. I speak the things which I've seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you've heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. 
But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who's told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. So here's the deal. So far, we have not resolved who their dad is. Now, you're not talking about their earthly dad because they don't all have the same dad. This is not just a large gang of brothers that went to go pester Jesus. They're, they took great pride in their fleshly heritage. We are Abraham's descendants. And he was going to show them that there was a lot more than genealogical history to who you are. There's a lot more than just who you physically descended from. He's going to show them that Abraham's descendants would not just be descendants by the flesh, but they'd be descendants of faith. He's going to show them something very important. You know, I've been spending a lot of time recently um, doing, well, not a lot of time. I don't want to make, make it seem like this. this is just all I do. But the spare time I have, which as you know, when you have a small child and you pastor two churches, it's not as much spare time as you used to have, but there's spare time there. And the spare time I have uh, that's not being spent with my family, I am, uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, genealogy research. I've been having a great time. Uh, my side of the family is pretty much done. My mother's brother, Uncle Stan, he is just a, a genius in that stuff. And they've, they've dedicated a big chunk of their retired life to solving all the mysteries of our family, whether they needed to be solved or not. Uh, but I've really had the privilege to do some research on Tia's side. We've had great time. And both sides of the family have been reading lately about our pilgrim ancestors, the, the ones that came over on the first boats. Um, so we have roots that go in way back in North America, not as much as our native brethren, but you know, it's pretty far back. I had an ancestor named Martin, uh, Martin Titchener, who, uh, you, you might identify with this. He, he got in trouble with his church for not bringing enough bullets for his gun to a funeral. <laughs> Because every man who came to church had to bring his, if he was part of the guard, he had to bring his gun. If he wasn't, he had to bring his sword. And so one time he got in trouble for being late with his gun, and one time for not bringing enough, as he said in his letter, bullets for his peace. And uh, the times have changed. <laughs> There's a reason that, as we've been, I've been researching this, I've come across many distant relatives and cousins, and there are people that spend a lot of time doing this stuff. And it's not because you just love history, although I do. Uh, there's a sense of wanting to know where you came from, not wanting to know where your roots were. There's a, something embedded in us that says, if I look back at the people that came before me, I'll find out a little bit about myself. You may have noticed our son looks like us, you know, and I, a couple of times this last week, I've said, boy, does he look like my dad? There's certain things he did that just reminded me of my dad. And um, so we look back and we try to find clues about ourselves in our, in our heritage. These Jewish people that Jesus was talking to were experts in genealogy. I mean, they were way better than any of us. Many of them had traced their line all the way back to Abraham. Thousands of years of genealogy. Isn't this amazing? The apostle Paul knew which line of Benjamin he was part of. If you read the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, you find genealogies of Jesus on both sides of the family. They put it, it was very important to them. But he's telling them here, 
it's not just about your physical genealogy. Because if you were Abraham's descendants, now he knows they were because he said it. He said, I know you are. But if you were of your father Abraham, you would have received me. But you're trying to kill me. No, you're of your father. And, and at this point, they're still wondering, who are you talking about? And they're not going to like the answer. <laughs> they said to him, uh-oh. Now they've got a tool in their arsenal. The tool in their arsenal is they know the rumors about Jesus. That somehow his mother got pregnant before she was married. They don't believe that it was a virgin birth, but we know it was. But they don't quite believe that because they're unbelievers. And so they pull out the ultimate insult. They say, we are not born of fornication. Ooh, that's tough. Now they think it's going to wound Jesus. He's going to go, he's going to whimper, you know, kind of limp off the stage and just go, how they know? I mean, they're bringing that out. I mean, nobody calls me that, you know, but he doesn't. They said, we have one father. We have our father, God. In verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. You know, Jesus was the son of God. So he has a knowledge of them that they don't even know. He was sent from God. He came to the world for them. He knew them better than they knew themselves. And so when they say, oh, we, we, we're not like you. We're not born of fornication. We have one father. He goes, I know the guy you're talking about. And believe me, you don't have the relationship you think you have. He says in verse 43, why do you not understand what I am saying? Now, this is a very good question. Why don't you understand? And he has an answer. You know, Jesus asked more questions than anybody else in the Bible. The man with all the answers asked more questions. Maybe we could learn something from that. He didn't ask the questions to, to learn new information. He already knew the answers. He asked questions because questions get you thinking yourself. And he asks them, why don't you understand? And he has an answer for them. It is because you cannot hear my word. Well, why can't they hear his word? You are of your father, the devil. They're not going to like that. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Now let's learn something here. Watch what happens. He says, you're of your father. Then he describes their father. He's a murderer, he's a liar, and when he lies, he is not contradicting himself. When he lies, that's his nature. And so he says, because that's his nature, you've inherited it. Now this is weird, because they were not born sons of the devil. They were born sons of Abraham. They chose this path for themselves. Isn't it interesting? Let's flip it around. If he could say about them that because they were, their father was the devil, 
Now, it doesn't mean that the devil literally fathered them, got their moms pregnant. That's not what happened. But what he's saying is, this is who you've taken after now. This is the family you've, you've taken up with. Now, if he can say about them, because you have your father, the devil, he's a murderer, so you have murder in your hearts. You want to kill me. He is a liar, so you can't hear the truth. He said, because you have your father, the devil, you want to do the desires of your father. Let's flip that around for a moment. If he is talking about them that way, now what if he was talking about you? And you're not of your father, the devil. You've been born again. You're a child of God. Can we flip that around for a moment and, and ask what he might say about you? God, who is the life giver from the beginning. God, who is truth. So you can hear truth and you won't follow a lie because your father is the father of truth. Not only that, but he says, you want to do the desires of your father. Well, isn't it wonderful that we who are born again have now not inherited the desires of, of the God of that world. We have not inherited the desires of, the, of Satan, of the devil. We've inherited the, the same desires that God has. We want to do those things. He says, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. And this is true. Don't you know, don't, don't you hate having to say things that are not of your nature? When you say something that is not part of your nature, you feel different. You don't like it. That's why the book of Ephesians says, this coarse jesting, this, this mocking, this, this, this uh, rude talk is not fitting for saints. Keep it far from your mouth. It is not fitting among saints. Why? Because that's not who you are. And so when you talk like that, it feels weird because that's not who you are. You should speak from your nature. The problem is many of us have not come to a revelation of what our nature really is. We think and we still talk like our nature is sinful and we are trying to somehow overcome our nature and become a little bit more like God. What you have to understand is that's the flesh. And the Bible says that you are to put the flesh to death and that now we live from the spirit. We've crucified the flesh. Can you still follow the flesh? Yeah, but it's a bad idea. He says, consider your flesh dead. Consider that old nature, that old person you used to be. Consider it dead. And now consider yourself alive to God. And when you do, you'll live from a new nature. And he says, there is, you'll speak from that nature. Because you're a saint, you'll talk like a saint. Because you're his, you'll love like him. Because you're his, you'll have the fruit of the spirit in your life. I don't believe, I understand where it comes from. I believe that we were all sinners, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I believe we were all unworthy. But I don't believe you should go for the rest of your life calling yourself that after Jesus has made you righteous. Because you are confessing the nature of, you're confessing your nature. And you've got to choose whether or not you believe God or you believe somebody else. Because what God has said about you is that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are not that person. So it's popular among Christians to sound humble and say, I'm just a poor sinner saved by grace. Can we just morph that a touch? 
I was a sinner who was saved by grace and has now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have to know that because as long as you think you're a dog, you'll act like a dog. As long as you think you're a man or a woman, you'll act like a man or a woman. And when you do dog stuff, but you know you're a person, you feel stupid for doing dog stuff, right? And so you should. So when I act like a sinner instead of a saint, it does not fit my nature anymore because my nature is the same as my father's. Thank God I'm not perfect, but my spirit is. And I'm just like you working every day, but not me working, the grace of God. I am every day determining to live out of the spirit instead of living out of my old flesh, to live from the spirit, to live from that new nature I've received in Jesus. Because I want to do the, I want to do the desires of my father. Look what he says here in verse 45. Because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. He says, in fact, you can't understand what I'm saying because your, your nature is of your father and he's a liar. So because you're so full of lies, you can't hear the truth anymore. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why don't you believe me? He who is of God, now hear that, he who is of God. What does that mean in, in biblical terms to be of God? It means that's where you came from. That means that's what you were born from. He who is of God hears the words of God. Isn't that interesting? When you're, when you're born of him, you hear differently. You don't just speak differently, but you hear differently. Many of you have experienced this, that when the Holy Spirit got a hold of you, when you were born again, you heard things you couldn't hear before. You understood things you couldn't understand before because you had received the spirit of truth. In verse 48, the Jews answered and said to him, remember they pulled out the, your mom uh, had fornication. She was... uh, had a, a, an affair before she was married, so you're the, you're the son of a fornicator. And then they've got one more bullet to pull out, and it's not anywhere near true, you know, but they've already revealed their nature. They're liars. Now, notice, this is not all the Jewish people. My goodness. Most of the Jewish people received Jesus. He, he himself was a Jew. But these are some of the religious leaders that are kind of uh, invested in the old system. And here it says this, the Jews answered and said to him, so when, it, when you see in the gospels it says the Jews, you know it's not like the whole nation. It's almost always speaking of the religious leaders of the time. The Jews sa- answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to that. Do we not say rightly? Like, correct us if we're wrong. But don't you have a demon and our Samaritan? And to them, those two were equal, just very bad on either sense. They were pretty racist. You're not just a demon-possessed. You're a Samaritan who's demon-possessed, which is so much worse. But it's important because, once again, they're bringing up his heritage. And they've been hitting on it. And this is a battle of where did you come from? Because where you come from is very important. But not not like you think. 
It's not where you come from as in I came from England, I came from Scotland, I came from the Philippines. I'm talking about where you come from, where you were, when you're born again, where your true home lies, where your nature comes from. Jesus answered very calmly, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I don't seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. (laughs) We, We were just playing off a hunch before, but you proved it. Because Abraham died and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me of whom you say he's our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. This is a bombshell. He's claiming that he knew Abraham. And the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. I love how they say this. Like, if you were 100, I could buy it. (laughs) Abraham was thousands of years before. You're not even 50. <laughs> and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Ooh. So, having no more verbal stones to throw, being thoroughly beaten in the argument, they do the only thing that's left, they pick up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see what he says here. It's very important. He spends a lot of time talking about where he came from, who his father was, who their father was. And you notice who your father is changes everything. Now, when I'm talking about Father's Day here, there's many fathers in the room. You know, it's funny. I didn't think it'd be this way. But once you become a father, you think more about your dad than you ever did. At least most men that I've talked to. It's funny, when you become a father, you're either trying to live up to a standard that your father set or you're trying to run away from it, depending on who your father was. You spend your life either saying, I'm not, I'm not going to be like that man, or you spend your life saying, man, I wish I was half the man he was, or a combination of both. But that's not the father. As much as we love these men, that's not the father you need to imitate. You have to know. I've had, I've had friends and acquaintances and people that, that you know, have determined that they're always going to struggle with things because their dad did. That they are at their core of their nature an alcoholic because that's in my family. That they are at the core of their nature. They're, they have a temper problem because my dad did and his dad did and it's back in the, it's in the family. But you have to know you've got a new family now. 
And you're not inheriting those old things anymore. Now, they may still be there in, in your genetic code. They may still be in your fleshy nature. But come on, when we got born again, didn't matter what was in our fleshy nature. We put it on the cross and we said, now I live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. He's my hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. And when we said that, we understood that he put things in us that you didn't have before. There were, there were things you could not do as a father. Man, I'm speaking to you today. There are things that you said, I don't have that. I didn't know what to look for in my own father, so I don't know how to be a father. There are things I just can't do. There are things I just can't be. And I want you to hear this very clearly. God is able to put things in you that you didn't inherit from flesh, that you didn't inherit from your family. God is able to give you the ability to be who you never could be before. He's anointed you to be a dad. You are now meant to imitate that father. And when you do that, you show your kids a glimpse of what the heavenly father is like. It's sad that so many people have to relearn what God is like because their father's messed it up. But I don't want you to think, what if I mess up? What if I mess up? I want you to know that God is able to use you as the number one instrument in your kids' lives. Whether or not they're in the house or out of the house, you can speak to them about the goodness of God and you can demonstrate the life of God. Because who you are, who your dad was, who your grandpa was, it may be interesting to go back and, and say, that's why I have red hair. You may be interesting to go back and say, boy, I do look like that great grandfather. But I want to tell you, your nature, your character has changed. You are now in Christ. You've inherited a new family. I love when I read Hebrews 11 because I say, that's my tribe. These are my people men of faith I know I didn't come from the same line as I didn't I wasn't descended directly from these men and women but I look at them I say that's my family history I read it in Hebrews 11 I read it in the book of Acts these are my people that's my tribe people of faith because the Bible says this once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy. Once you were not a people, that word for people is the word ethnos. It's like ethnicity, a race, a, you know. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. He uses the word for a tribe, for a race, for an ethnicity. That's why the church is so wonderfully diverse. Because we all came from our own tribes. We all came from our own nations and we are fulfilling the scripture that says every tribe, every nation, every tongue will come. Yes. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Thank God that's who we are. I want you to be able to say, because I'm of my father, he's the father of lights. And as Ephesians 5 says, I'm a child of light. Because of my, of, of my father, he is the God of truth. So I have the truth in me and I will speak the truth. Because I'm of my father, what he desires, I desire. Because that's my nature. And I want to say this very clearly. 
You are not working your way to fit into the family. You are adopted. You are a son, a daughter. Now live it out. Quit trying to work your way into the family when you've already received it. Does that mean you don't act like a son or a daughter? No, it doesn't mean you don't act that way. But it means that you live out of what you are. You're not trying to be something. You're not trying to get something. This is who you are. You've got to know who you are. All of Jesus' ministry was based on his identity as the son. And then he passed it on to you. Your identity has got to be wrapped up in your family history. And your family history is that you are a son, you are a daughter of the king. You've been adopted and your spirit affirms it in you. I am a child of God and he's not just my distant father. He is my Abba. He is my daddy. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the prodigal son and the father who received him home. You recall how eager the father was to embrace him, to give him authority and to give him a feast. And the older brother said, he was angry, why did you give him a feast? I've worked so hard for you, dad. I've done so much work. I've been the good son. He squandered everything on loose living and prostitutes. I've been here serving you. Where's my reward? You kill a fat calf for him. What have you done for me? And the father says to him, son, didn't you know that I've been with you this whole time? You've always been with me and that everything I have is yours. In other words, all you had to do was ask for the calf. I would have given it to you. He said, you didn't give me so much as a goat. And he said, I, everything I had was already yours. We talked on Wednesday night about that wonderful thing that Jesus said to his disciples, freely you've received. Now freely give. If any of you believe that God has put you on this planet to be a minister of reconciliation, if any of you believe that God has put you here to do his work and to advance his kingdom, can I tell you, you can't freely give until you've freely received. And freely received means exactly what it sounds like, freely received. Because as long as you are putting qualifications on whether or not you deserve what God's giving you, you can't minister to other people because the same qualifications and limits you put on you, you'll put on them. But Jesus said, you've received freely without charge and without any limits you've received. Now give in the same way. Oh, I'd love for us to just embrace that. Be a church that says we're freely giving what we freely received. You have to know what you've received though, right? First Corinthians 2 says we've received the spirit of God so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Peter and John stopped the, stop at the, the beggar, the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. He says, can I have some money? They say, we don't have any money, but what we have, we're going to give to you. And the guy got up. They said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he did. And what I always go back to and what grabs me is not just that they, they, they told the man to get up and he did, but that they said that this is something we have. We have it. We've received it of the Father. 
And, and let me tell you, later in their testimony to the, to the high priests, later when they were defending themselves for the terrible crime of healing somebody, they are forced to say, by what authority did you do this? And they said, men, it is not our own piety that got this man healed. Why? They freely received. He said it very clearly. He said, our own holiness, our good behavior did not get us what we gave to that man. They understood who they were. They understood who their dad was. They understood what Jesus gave them. They understood it was not something they earned. They received it and they had something to give. Now I believe Jesus said it very clearly several times here that part of being a son was keeping the word, right? Well, I'm not telling you just go out and do whatever you want. You're still, you're, you know, it just doesn't matter. It's all the same. It does matter. But I want to tell you that your adoption is not in question here because you've already received the seal of adoption, the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, that's his pledge to you. You live from that. And because you're a son, you act like a son. Because you're a daughter, you act like a daughter. And you stop doing things that don't fit you anymore, that don't match your true nature anymore. That's not who you are. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. Live from who you are. Don't try to, don't try to become it someday. Don't try to work your way to it. Understand, that's already who I am. Jesus made me that. And I don't have to do anything more to be that. I already am his son. I already am his daughter. Just know that. Because until you embrace that, nothing you ever do will ever really get pulled off. You have to know who you are. Know your inheritance in Christ. Know what he's already done for you, what he's already given you. You must, in order to freely give, you must first freely receive. And the only way to freely receive is to know who you are and who he is. He's my father. And like Denny said earlier, if you asked your earthly dad for something and he had it he'd give it to you Jesus said the same thing and he said you being wicked fathers would do this for your kids how much more the righteous father how much more would he do this to you how much more would he give you the spirit if you asked praise God isn't it wonderful to know who you are I'm glad to know who I am I'm a son and you know with your own kids you want them to grow up and, and do the right thing. You want them to be a, a good young man, a good young woman. When they do stupid things, do you have a family meeting and decide whether or not they're going to be your kids anymore? No. They either are or they aren't, right? That's who you are with Jesus. That's who you are with the Father. Does that mean you go off and do stupid things? No, don't do stupid things. That shouldn't be, have to be said, but I just feel like I need to say it. <laughs> don't go off and just rebel. Because you know the life he's got for you is so much better than anything else the world has. But no, first and foremost, you are adopted. And that is not going to change because you've already been born again.